The Lord is saying, seek me. Are you hearing him? Jesus is saying, seek me. What does Jesus mean to you? Take a moment to think about that question. And we're going to pray. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to be your mouthpiece. And I pray, Lord, that it would not be about me, that it would be about you. That you would speak through me, Lord, that I would get out of the way and that your Holy Spirit would speak the words that need to be heard by your family here tonight. I ask, Father, that you, you would be here, Lord. I already feel your presence here, Lord. You're awesome. You're amazing. That your words speak in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we're continuing the series, Shape Up, Tools for Discipleship. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be covering the triangle, up, in, and out. And it's just a tool. Like Greg said a couple of weeks ago, it's not about the shapes. They're just basically tools to help us understand doctrine, theology, biblical principles that we want you to learn. So don't get caught up on the shape. I'm going to talk about three things today. I'm going to explain the shape because we're going to talk about it over the next few weeks. Then we're going to go into up. That's really what I want to focus on. And up basically means enjoying God's presence. And then we're going to get into the practical application of, of how do you do that. So just a little bit of who I am. My name's Eric Gonzalez. If I haven't met you, I think I've tried to meet everybody, but I haven't. And uh, I'm in the military. I'm in the Air Force. Been in the Air Force for about 18 years. Studied a lot of stuff in my time in the military, a lot of strategy, a lot of tactics and whatnot. And there's one thing. Any other military folks in here? Yeah, retired military. You've ever heard the, the phrase that the, uh, the plan never survives first contact? Firm believer in that one. <laughs> Even now, I'm going off my notes. I had all this thing scripted out and it doesn't survive first contact. That's the way the Lord works, too. So basically what I want you to get out of this are the principles. And then I want you to learn the practical application. Because it's great to have all this head knowledge in your, in your head and theology and doctrine and all that kind of stuff. But if you don't apply it to your life, then it's just knowledge. It's useless. So I want you to take the knowledge and make it wisdom, knowledge lived out. Okay? So that's the goal of this morning. All right. Before we go any further, let's get to the foundational verse here. So Micah 6.8 is our foundational verse for the triangle. I'll give you a moment to turn there. Micah 6.8. He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So this book of Micah was written during the same era as Isaiah the prophet. They were contemporaries. During the reigns of uh, King Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, you may have heard of, in Judah. These prophets were around during the end of the Israelite nation, during the northern kingdom's demise, if you will. So the Assyrians march in to Israel. They take every, just about everybody captive, and they deport them up to Assyria, basically modern-day Turkey and Syria. These prophets were in Judah, the southern kingdom of God's people. And Micah is prophesying the doom that's going to happen to them as well in the coming years. And Daniel, uh, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, those prophets will come after Micah. And they'll live the aftermath that Micah's prophesying about. 
And before all of this happens, God gives this word to Micah and says, okay, this is what I'm calling you to do. This is the way that I want you to live. To act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. Those are the keys to living a balanced Christian life. Of course, the Jews didn't listen, and we're going to get to that in a minute. And so they end up getting deported to Babylon. Daniel and his buddies, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. So these are the, key, the keys right here to balance life. And hundreds of years later, Jesus gives us the same principles in the greatest commandment and the great commission. And we'll read that here quickly. So you got the next slide up there? So of all the commandments, which is the most important? So Jesus is having a conversation with one of the teachers of the law, and he gets asked this question, which of the, which of the commandments is the most important? And Jesus answers, the most important one is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. In verse 34, I didn't put it up there, Jesus says, you're not far from the kingdom of God. Just with these two principles. That's what he tells the teacher. You're not far from the kingdom of God. And I think what Jesus was saying there is, you got two of the aspects down and you're missing the third, the great commission. So he had the up, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He had the in, love your neighbor as yourself, but there was that out component that was missing. So let's read uh, Matthew 28, the Great Commission. So therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So the principles of the greatest commandment and the great commission are similar to the three tenets in Micah 6, 8. And they're laid out for us in the triangle. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Walk humbly with your God. That's the up principle. Love your neighbor. Love mercy. That's the in principle. Go and make disciples of all the nations. Do justly. That's the out. Up, in, and out. So, up represents being in God's presence. I'm going to focus on that here this morning. We'll dive deeper into it in a moment. The in, love your neighbor, love mercy. So that represents the internal change that needs to happen. It signifies the sanctification, if I could use that word, of what's supposed to happen inside you before you step out. And that doesn't happen by itself. So you need the church around you to help that process go. And Ryan's going to talk about that next week. The out portion, that's the Great Commission. It's stepping out. It corresponds with kingdom work, demonstrating the life of Christ, taking the gospel to the world. And Mike's going to cover that in a couple of weeks. All right. Let's skip ahead to that uh, authority identity slide there. So why is this important? So it's, it's a process. We enjoy God. We spend time with our Father. I'm going to start covering that here in a minute. We're transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, and part of that process is with one another as a church. We're transformed, and then we go out into the world and we demonstrate the life of Christ. We get our identity and our authority from our Father and King, the Lord. He works in us, and then from that we obey and we go out and we go do. If that process isn't followed in that way, it can get messed up. The Christian life can get a little bit screwed up. 
Our identity and our authority come from our relationship with our, our Heavenly Father. When we try to live out kingdom life, so when we think that we're hearing from the Lord and we just go straight out into the world without that heart knowledge being worked in our lives, when it's not real in us, that leads to legalism. It's basically just rule following. We're taking what we've heard from what we think we know of God's word and we're applying it to others before we apply it to ourselves. That's not healthy. Conversely, if we don't get our identity from the Father, so if we get our identity from other things, who we think we are, and we try to go out from that, that leads to heresy. It leads to licentiousness. Basically, people doing whatever they want to do because they think they know. But they're not getting their authority and their identity from, from the Lord, from God. So we got to follow the process there. Enjoy God. Be transformed by the power of his Holy Spirit and then go out into the world and demonstrate it. Make sense? Tracking with me? All right. All right, so how do we do this? It starts with up. So that's what we're going to focus on this morning, walking humbly with God. What does that mean, walking humbly with God? It's an invitation by Christ to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit with God our Father. What does it mean to walk humbly with our God? Simply put, to enjoy him every way, every day. It's kind of my simple way of looking at it. One of my favorite verses is Psalm 37.4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. This is one of my life verses. Greg was saying, uh, I'm a man after his heart. I'd rather th- like to think I'm a man after God's own heart. No offense, Greg. <laughs> but yeah, this has been one of my favorite verses growing up ever since I was a kid. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. I used to think of it in a different way. I used to think, well, if, if I delight myself in the Lord, he's going to give me what I want. That's not what it's saying. It's saying if you delight yourself in the Lord, he's going to put the desires in your heart that are of him. And you're going to go out from there. So what does it look like to delight yourself in the Lord? Let's look at this picture here. This is a picture that I took of my, my dad and, uh, and my son. And uh, Jaken likes to call me uh, Dadden. Jaken's my son. Uh, and he likes to snuggle-buggle. That's his term for, for snuggling. Buggle-buggle. He'll climb in the bed with Liz and I and go, buggle-buggle. And then he proceeds to beat me up as he kicks me and hits me and, and whatnot. <laughs> But uh, about a year and a half ago, my dad got to meet Jaken for the first time, and uh, he was holding him in his arms like this, and I had my camera and was snapping pictures and caught this one. And I thought, man, what a picture of our relationship with the Father, right? So Jaken is there, fascinated by my dad's fingers, and my dad, it's just a picture of pleasure there, right? He's delighting in his grandson. That's the way that the Lord delights in us, just like that. And Jaken is fascinated by a finger, right? It's the same with us. We're fascinated by God's finger because his finger can stir a mighty wind. His finger can do amazing things, and we're fascinated with that finger. And God says to us, all you're seeing is my finger, (laughs) right? Wait till you see my hand. Then it's really going to get interesting. So to me, that's a, that's a picture there of, of delighting in the Lord. That's a picture of up. That's what it should look like. The Lord delights in us as we are fascinated and fix our eyes on him. All right. I got a couple more examples of what up look like, looks like here. Up is also focused on seeking the Lord. So we've been talking about the semicircle and the circle. So up is focused on abiding in him, resting in him, 
So all those things that you took notes on a few weeks ago, hopefully you still have the notes and you're applying it. Hearing from the Lord, working the circle. What is God saying and what am I going to do about it? So in those moments of pressing into the Lord, we should be practicing what we're learning here. God, what are you saying and what am I going to do about it? Everybody tracking? All right. So Jesus establishes an example for what this looks like practically in the Bible. So we'll throw some verses up here. All throughout the gospel, we see Jesus doing it. You've got to look for it because it's kind of subtle. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and even in John, I've just got Matthew, Mark, and, Mark, and Luke up there. Very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got, got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. He went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. He often withdrew to lonely places and he prayed. What's he doing there? He's not running away from the crowd. Well, he kind of is. He's pressing into his father. He's, he's pressing in to get something from his father. So he has something to give his disciples and then the world. That's the example that Jesus sets for us. He further explains the concept in uh, John 17, 7 and 8. As he's on his way out, about to be crucified, and he's praying for his disciples, he says this in the prayer in John 17, 7 through 8. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. So he wasn't just making stuff up on the fly. He was getting it from his father, and then he was giving it away. That's the same process that we're supposed to follow as we connect with our father. So what is God saying? What are you going to do about it? What's he telling you? And notice how in this example he goes out. He moves. He steps out. He goes up to a mountainside. And he goes off into a solitary place. It's not just about resting. It's not just about sitting here and sitting still in his presence. It's also about going, stepping out into a place. Action mixed with rest. Action mixed with pressing into God's presence. Not just mental ascent, but an interaction, a relationship. It's dynamic. Remembering that he is the creator God, almighty, omnipotent, omniscient, but yet loving, abounding in mercy. God with us. You know, between Melissa and Gloria, I felt like, man, I don't even need to preach this morning. <laughs> Those ladies had some, some powerful things to share. Uh, Melissa shared something with us last week. She shared with the worship, and I had permission from her to, to share this. Thanks, Melissa. Uh, she shared an example of how sometimes she'll start to feel anxiety or fear when she's driving along the road, and she'll find a parking lot and just pull over and just start praying, Lord, you know, take this away. What a picture of walking with the Lord, right? It's awesome. Similar thing happened to me. So a couple of years ago, well, I guess this is like 10 or 15 years ago. I guess I'm getting old now. <laughs> I turned 40 this year. I don't feel it yet, but it's, yeah, 40. I don't look it either, do I? <laughs> so... I was in uh, Prince Sultan Air Base, which is in the middle of the desert in Saudi Arabia, and uh, I just had a urge to just go play the guitar. Some of you know I play the guitar. And I went to the chapel, because I didn't bring mine with me, and they had one at the chapel, so I went over there to just start strumming and goofing around. And uh, as I'm doing that, this guy walks in. We don't know each other. And he looks at me, I look at him, and we kind of give the, what's up, you know? <laughs> 
he, uh, he kneels down at the altar, and he just starts praying. And I'm just fiddling on my guitar, probably about where Melissa's sitting to where I'm standing. And I just start worshiping. And the Holy Spirit fell on that place. Incredible. It was just the two of us. He was praying. I was worshiping. And the Lord just fell. Boom. And he was praying some intense prayers and crying out to God. And, man, there was some spiritual warfare going on there in the middle of Saudi Arabia, a Muslim country. And all I was doing was just stepping out and going to go play the guitar and go worship. That's a picture of what it's like to press into the Lord and to be ready for his presence at any moment, just like Gloria was talking about earlier. All right, why is action so important? Why is that stepping out so important? Because it's one thing to practice being in God's presence when you're at rest, when you're sitting on your easy chair at home. I like to do that in my easy chair, just kind of recline and, until my son jumps in my lap. Uh, but that's just practice. Because the real test, like I was saying earlier about the plan, surviving first contact, when you're walking down the street, and the Lord says to you, hey, go tell that guy that I love him. Whoa. Was that you, Lord? Was that really you? Kind of like what you were talking about, Gloria. So the, the times of resting and being still in his presence and practicing the circle, that's just practice for when he wants us to live out our faith and go out into the world. And we need to be in communion with him in those moments. And it becomes dynamic. And if, as we're practicing that circle of what is the Lord saying and what am I going to do about it, and we're walking in faith and we're able to do that, man, that's a force to be reckoned with, isn't it? Do you guys remember that old uh, Footprints in the Sand poem? All the old people are like, yeah, that was a good poem. <laughs> Cameron, have you ever heard that poem? Cameron and Emily, have you ever heard that poem, Footprints in the Sand? Nope. <laughs> So that's it there. I know you can't read it, so I'm going to read it to you. One night a man had a dream. He dreamed that he was walking along the beach with the Lord. Across the sky flashed scenes from his life. For each scene, he noticed two sets of footprints in the sand. One belonged to him and the other to the Lord. When the last scene of his life flashed before him, he looked at the footprints in the sand. He noticed that many times along the path of his life, there were only one set of footprints. He also noticed that it happened at the lowest and saddest times of his life. This really bothered him, and he questioned the Lord about it. Lord, you said once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way. But I noticed that during the most troublesome times of my life, there were only one set of footprints. I don't understand why, when I needed you the most, you would leave me. The Lord replied, my precious child, I love you, and I would never leave you. During your times of trial and suffering, when you could only see one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. So yeah, that's a great Judeo-Christian-American heritage-type poem that all the old people know about. <laughs> a picture of being carried by God in his strength, not in our own strength, right? It's another example, another glimpse of walking humbly with God, trusting him in the risks of life. But I've got a question for that author. I wish I could dialogue. And by the way, nobody really knows who wrote the, the Footprints in the Sand poem. It's kind of a controversy. But if I could ask the author, I could, I'd want to ask, why did you doubt God's power? I mean, why did you think that he wasn't with you? Sometimes we put God in a box, right? We make him into a comfortable God who we believe is all loving and compassionate, our sweet savior, the God who is near us, but we forget that he's also mighty to save. 
We need to remember that God is not only faithful and near, but he's also mighty. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's the creator of the universe. It's important that we balance his nearness with his greatness. In his book, Vertical Church, James McDonald writes, Ryan shared this with me uh, as we were dialoguing about this message. So thanks for giving me this input, Ryan. Where you at? Sweet. In his book, Vertical Church, James McDonald writes, while it is wonderfully true that God is loving, merciful, caring, and compassionate, we err when we downplay or reject preaching about transcendence, holiness, omniscience, or omnipotence. He continues, in making God our buddy, we find him nice for cuddling, snuggle-buggle, but no help when the hurricane comes. So a couple of uh, years ago, I was temporary duty, TDY for military folks down in Oklahoma City, and... Uh, Man, again, this was like 10 or 15 years ago. I'm feeling that age thing again. I went to the gym, uh, worked out, and the gym closed, so it was like 10 o'clock at night or something, and I'm walking back to, to my building room, and there's a thunderstorm hitting hard over the base. So I thought, it was only about half a mile from the gym to, to my building room, so I thought, oh, I'll just run it out, it'd be no big deal, and then lightning starts striking all around me. I'm thinking, ooh, this isn't good. So I dove into uh, an overhang. Uh, it was a little shop at Mini Mart type place that was closed but at least they had an overhang to get out of the weather. And I sat under that overhang for about 30 or 45 minutes waiting for this storm to blow over. And it started to make me nervous. When you're seeing lightning striking around you, that's no joke. And I looked up, and I could see the lightning ripple across the clouds and then strike somewhere, you know, like a mile away or something. And then it'd ripple the other way, and I'd see it strike way over there. And to me, it made me feel about this big. It's like, wow. Lord, you are awesome. And all I could do was just sing the, the hymn, How Great Thou Art. Because God was definitely showing off that night for me. <laughs> so, so yeah, so we have to remember that God is not just this snuggle-buggle God who's near us. He's also the creator of the universe, great and awesome. And as we, as we step into those problems in life, where, yeah, we feel comforted by his spirit, but just be comforted by the fact that, yeah, he's in control, and he knows what he's doing. Gloria, I felt like you were going to steal my thunder this morning with everything that you were uh, sharing with us. As we spend time with the Lord in our uptime and learning to walk with him, learning to hear his voice, we need to make sure that we're not making him into our own image. His worshipers will worship him in spirit and truth. In John 4, Jesus explains that to the woman at the well in Samaria. Spirit and truth. There needs to be a balance between the two. The spirit of enjoying him, fellowship with him, listening for his voice, balanced with the truth of his word. Ensuring that we are hearing from the Lord or what we think we hear from him, we need to know that's indeed from him. If what we're hearing from the Lord is not found in scripture or confirmed by the truth of his word, we need to be very careful that we're not being misguided by our sinful hearts the wounds that we have, the lies that are in this world, or the very lies of the devil himself. We've got to watch out for that. So we've got to be plugged in to God's word and make sure that we're cross-checking what we think we're hearing. His truth should always remind us that he is both the creator of the universe, awesome in power and glory, but also Emmanuel, God with us. The two together. He knows each star by name, but he knows your name as well. And he knows my name. He numbers the stars in the sky, the sand on the seashore, but he also numbers the hairs on each of your head. For some of you, that's not so hard. I mean, <laughs> zero. But, but you know what? For those of you who are bald, there's Psalm 139, where he says, 
His eyes saw your unformed body in the womb of your mother. He knew you before you were even born. Psalm 139. I keep bringing up these scriptural references because, like I said, we need to keep to the truth of Scripture in our cross-check, lest we limit God to our own various ungodly beliefs, our litmus tests, and our worldly thinking. Balance the truth and spirit with the up, in, and out. All right. So let's get real. Let's get practical. How do we do that for ourselves? That question I asked you before, what does Jesus mean to you? That's where it starts. What if you're having trouble hearing him? So my daughter and I had a conversation a few years ago about how do you hear from God? How do you know what that that sounds like? For me, personally, it's not an audible voice. And honestly, I hope that I don't hear God's audible voice in this life. I don't think I could handle it. Um, I could be wrong on this. Greg, you can check me if I'm wrong. But I think if we were to hear his audible voice here, it would probably be in judgment. So I don't think that I want to do that. I want to hear his still small voice, the way that Elijah did when he saw the tempest and the thunder and God wasn't in that. And then all of a sudden he heard the still small voice. That's what we want to hear. And that's what we want to train ourselves to listen for. God speaks to both the believer and the non-believer. However, it's much harder for the non-believer to hear God's voice because the heart is not used to listening. The unbelieving heart's unregenerate and it's in tune with the flesh, the world, the devil, distractions. But God, by his grace, still reaches out even to the unbeliever. In this moment, right now, if you don't know the Lord, he's speaking to you through me. So listen up. That sounded self-serving, didn't it? (laughs) All glory to him. For believers, there's a whole list of things that could hinder our prayers and stop our ears from hearing his voice. We could do a whole sermon series on this topic. Maybe sometime later, Greg. <laughs> we don't have the time to cover the list in, deal, so, list in detail, so I'm just throwing it up there. You guys can copy it down and copy the verses if something resonates with you. Unconfessed sin, disobedience, neglecting mercy, so not taking care of the poor is what that means. Rebelling against authority, kids, that includes you and your parents. Hands full of blood in Isaiah 115, and that also is talking about emotional blood too, not just physical. So if you've scarred somebody, emotional. Um, Doubt, self-indulgence, selfishness. And for husbands out there, not honoring your wife, that one's explicit in 1 Peter 3, 7. That's one that humbles me quite often. Those things can hinder our prayers. So if any of these things are in your life, we need to do business with God and confess all that junk and make amends in the power of the Holy Spirit to be cleansed. God is always speaking, like we've talked about before, both to the believer and the non-believer. To one, he's speaking faith in Christ, if you don't know him. To the other, if you already know Christ, he's speaking daily sanctification, those things that need to be changed in us. Because we can't act justly, we can't love mercy, we can't do the up, in, and out, we can't walk humbly with our God if we don't know Christ and we don't have the power of the Holy Spirit. It's just impossible. can't do it. These things can seriously hinder our ability to hear. And there's a caution about it. In Jeremiah 7.13, Jeremiah writes this, this prophecy. While you were doing all these things, and all these things is all the idolatry that uh, Israel was practicing. While you were doing all these things, declares the Lord, I spoke to you again and again, but you did not listen. Wow, I don't want that to be me. I wasn't going to share this example, but I think I, think I should share it. So there was a, 
another trip to Oklahoma City that I was there, different time. And I stopped at a gas station, was filling up with the rental vehicle that I had. And I see this guy sitting on the curb. And I felt the Lord tell me, hey, go tell that guy that I love him. And much like Gloria was saying, I was like, mm, got places to be, things to do. And not right now, Lord. I got in the car, started to drive away, and I felt that burning in, your, in my heart. It's like, can't, can't walk away from this one. So I turned around, went back, and uh, looked for the guy, and he was gone. And I, I'd missed it. I'd missed my opportunity. And I thought, man, Lord, I'm sorry that I didn't heed your voice when I heard it. I don't, I don't want to do that. I encourage you not to do that. When you hear the word of the Lord, when you hear his voice, trust him. Act on it. Jesus gives us the same warning, sort of, in Jerusalem. In Luke 19, when he's weeping for Jerusalem. So God, in the flesh, is right there with his people, and they didn't notice. They didn't take note that that was the Son of God right there. And he weeped for Jerusalem because they wouldn't hear his voice. Let's not miss that opportunity as a people of God. When he's speaking, let's listen and let's obey. All right, one more note. Sometimes God doesn't answer in our timing. So sometimes there's silence and we're not hearing him, and it's not because of all those things we listed up. I mean, we're not doing anything wrong per se. We're like Job. God, what's going on? Why is this happening? And sometimes it's God's answer is wait, or not yet, or silence. Sometimes we hear silence because God wants us to wait. Either we lack the maturity to grasp the answer. It's like Jacob looking at the finger. He can't grasp much more than that finger, right? So God is just saying, just wait. I'm going to build you up, and when you're ready, I will give you the answer. And then you can see his hand. And you won't see his whole body because, whoa. Yeah. So sometimes he makes us wait on him. And we need to be patient. So whether we're an unbeliever or a believer, the key to connecting with the Lord in the up principle is the answer to that question that I asked you before. What does Jesus mean to you? Let me read something to you. I almost don't want to read it because we saw it early this morning with, uh, with Melissa. A guy I know named Alan went around the country asking ministry leaders questions. He went to successful churches and asked the pastors what they were doing why what they were doing was working. It sounded very boring, except for the one visit he made to a man named Bill Bright. Anybody ever heard of him, Bill Bright? Some people have. He's the president of a big ministry. Alan said he was a big man, full of life, who listened without shifting his eyes. Alan asked a few questions. I don't know what they were, but as a final question, he asked Dr. Bright what Jesus meant to him. Alan said Dr. Bright could not answer the question. He said Dr. Bright just started to cry. He sat there in his big chair behind his big desk, wept. When Alan told that story, I wondered what it was like to love Jesus that way. I wondered quite honestly if that Bill Bright was just nuts or if he really knew Jesus in a personal way. So well that he would cry at the very mention of his name. I knew then that, it, I, knew then that I would like to know Jesus like that with my heart, not just my head. I felt like that would be the key to something. That was from uh, Donald Miller in his book, Blue Like Jazz. We saw that this morning with Melissa, right? the mention of his name, and she was praising him, and it stirred up emotion in her. Does that happen with you when you spend time with the Lord? Evangelist Nick Vusick, if anybody's ever heard of him, anybody know who he is? 
Yeah, this guy with no limbs. If you ever get a chance, Google one of his sermons. The guy's an amazing, amazing speaker. Uh, he kind of looks like a veggie tail person. Like, I know that sounds mean, but he'd appreciate that joke. The, uh, he says the answer to all his questions is Jesus is Lord, he is faithful. I know that sounds a little simplistic and somewhat cliche, but, but it's not. So when things aren't going so well, Jesus is Lord, he is faithful. When things are going great, Jesus is Lord, he is faithful. When you hear that voice in your head, that recording that's been playing in your mind all your life of, ah, you'll never amount to anything, Jesus is Lord, he is faithful, right? The questions that we have in our soul that God has placed there, do I have what it takes to succeed in this world? Will I fail? Am I beautiful? Does anyone lovely, love me? Will anyone fight for me? The answer to all of those, Jesus you are Lord. You are faithful. When the enemy comes and says you're not worth anything, no. Jesus, you are Lord. You are faithful. We don't even dialogue with that. When we begin to practice this, dialoguing with our Father, not the enemy, not the wounds in our heart, not the flesh, not the lies of the world, when we dialogue with our Father, connecting with him and up, declaring the truth of who he is and who he is in our lives, we begin to walk humbly with our God. Jesus, you are Lord and you are faithful. And you'll start to hear the word come alive in you. The Holy Spirit will bring that word alive as, as you hear things like, peace be with you. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I have loved you. You'll begin to converse with the God of the universe. Wait, did the God of the universe just tell me he loves me? Absolutely, yes, he did. Pay attention. That's a Kairos moment. And we need to ask the question, Lord, what do I do with this? And sometimes it's just enjoy his presence. So who is Jesus to you? Does he bring you to tears? Do you have an active, vibrant, life-giving relationship with him? Are you experiencing communion with him? Because if you're not, you have an opportunity right now to do that. So let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Every eye closed, every head bowed. This is a Kairos moment, Lord, for someone in here, I believe it. I pray that your Holy Spirit would continue to tug on that heartstring right now, Lord. You are Lord and you are faithful. You know each name in this room. You know, you know each hair on each head in this room. You've not forgotten anybody. Your hand is reaching out right now. So if there's anybody in this room who doesn't know the Lord, he's tugging on your heartstring right now. And if you want to accept him, just slip your hand up. Just say, yes, I want more of you, Lord. I want to explore this. I want to figure out who you are. And if there's anyone here who the Lord has pricked their heart with something that needs to be changed, needs to be sanctified, listen to that voice. Lord, I don't know what that is for anybody here, but you do. 
And I pray that you would continue to work, Lord. You would continue to sanctify your church. You would continue to draw us closer to your heart, Lord. Make us all men and women who pursue hard after you, that our boast would be in you, our boast would be in the cross of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.